Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. This is Million Dollar Brainstorm. We talk about an idea where you get revenge against spammers. A new weight loss challenge business that Sean and I are trying out, as well as looking at a $12,000 a month chess tutoring company and how we think you can blow it up. We talk about Charlie Munger throwing a little shade at Elon Musk. And people who collect super strange and niche items, but it somehow built an $800 million a year company. Spoiler, Sam is one of those collectors. And lastly, we tell a little fun story about Rupert Murdoch. All right, Million Dollar Brainstorm, enjoy. (laughs) So what do we think is the best way to get more reviews or more downloads? Which is our goal. Subscribe. So, so subscribe. The ch- so basically, uh, A, tell your friends. Be like, yo, there's the best business podcast out there. And B, if you go uh, in iTunes and subscribe, that that spikes us in the charts. So some people like to unsubscribe and then resubscribe because that creates the like the charts say, oh, there's more subscribers today. Yeah. So I think that's the barstool trick. So subscribe, then unsubscribe, and then resubscribe. Just do that a ton <laughs> of times because here's the deal. If Sean and I don't get to 100,000 listeners per episode in the next weeks or months... We're going to start charging for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, or we just get so bored. We're like impatient. We're too impatient. To no, wait. we're going to make it so you have to pay money to listen. That's <laughs> going to happen. Um, so you want to start talking about some ideas. First of all, I think we should start with this. Uh, the Twitter weight loss thing. We should start oh. with that. That's pretty interesting. Did you sign up for it? I signed up. I just yeah. ate a big old plate of veggies just now um, because so, now because I'm like, oh, shit, this is starting. So explain what this is. Okay, so when you're on camera... You predict this happens a lot, but you get self-conscious. But also, uh, we are both trying to lose weight. Um, our friend Justin is doing a thing where we have Venmo. Did you Venmo, Venmo him money? A Venmo. So he he tweeted out, "Hey, I got an experiment for weight loss. Thirty days. If you want in, let me know." And you had to Venmo him eight hundred bucks. I did. No, just did it right away. Just to pot, pot commit myself into it. And then he's going to send us a blood glucose monitor. And it stays in you for 28 days. 28 days. And basically the way it works is he's going to send a nutrition plan and like an eating plan. But if you and if you stick to it, you'll be fine. But what problem is most people don't stick to it. So here's how it's going to work. If your blood glucose levels go out of the, the range, like the, the healthy range, the weight loss range that he's going to prescribe for us. Uh, so first he's going to monitor your baseline. Then he's going to say, okay, cool. Here's the range I want you to stay in. If you stay in that range for the day, he Venmo's you back 25 bucks for the day. And if you don't, he keeps your money. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and he is doing this in a way where he's buying all of our monitors. Yes. Which typically costs, I think, $300. 400 bucks. If we stick to it, by the end of this challenge, we've paid $100, we've lost a bunch of weight, and uh, we got paid back all our money. If you stick to it. If you don't oh, stick to it. Oh, I didn't even it, see it. So we're giving him 100 bucks. It's 100 bucks net. Oh, I, net. I even... if, you, if, you, if you do it to the letter of the law, you get this $400 device for $100, and you lost your weight. I love it. Sick deal. Um, and, well, it, and we should explain who he is. He's the founder of this thing called Kettle and Fire. He also, I think, is one of the founders of Perfect Keto. Yeah. So Two keto products, basically. Yeah, and I have no idea, but... 
I imagine his businesses collectively are in the 50 or 60 million dollar in revenue range. So like he sees a he, lot of he says he's at 100 million plus run rate for his two products for kettle and fire and perfect. Where Kino. did he say that on his website? Oh, good for him. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that, which is uh, pretty crazy for a keto product. Yeah. So it sounds like he's thinking of a new uh, <laughs> business. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and copy that. Yeah. So I like it. So what we'll do is uh, when we get the device. We'll just shout out our blood glucose levels during the show. <laughs> I'm doing it. I also use My Body Tutor, where I take pictures of everything I eat. Right. And I send it to my... So I ate that donut. Just now, I'm going to have to send that to them, and they're going to shame me. <laughs> how are you going to send it? You ate it. <laughs> well, there's some more out there. I'll, I'll take a picture of it. Okay. <laughs> but all I've eaten today is a donut and an orange. I'm good. All right. Cool Cool weight loss idea. I like it. Justin Mayer's good stuff. Uh, okay. What's up? What else we got? Okay. So last episode, we had your buddy here and we he told me about this thing where he had invested in a company that's doing drone window washing. Yes. I thought that was crazy fascinating. And I went and researched it a bunch. There's another competitor that's raised money. And drones i don't think are the right words to describe it because when i think of drones i think of like a quadcopter these are things that like um they look like the normal so when you are pulling up the scaffolding or when you're pulling up like the the what do you call it it's like an elevator yeah an elevator up and the guys are standing on it and wiping it looks like that but there's a robot on there that is doing it instead of people right so it's not flying you're saying it's not flying yeah, why do they call it a drone then? Because technically it is a, a robot. Drone. A drone means unar- unmanned vehicle, I think. Okay. So technically they're right. Um, and so another company called Sky... I forget what it's called. They raised $3 million to do this. And uh, so this morning, what I did and yesterday morning is I went to... I googled Manhattan skyscraper window cleaners. And I found like the top three, four people. And I called them today to talk to them. And I, got, and I was talking to them. And they're going to call me back with some more details. But my takeaway from this industry is incredibly uh segmented so like fragmented fragmented uh like small like 20 to 10 to 20 million dollar businesses and there's probably five or ten of them in new york right so it's like the guy uh brian from 100 got junk right this is how the hauling business was and you know before he sort of started aggregating all these small fragmented local players and you've always had this thesis which is you could do the 100 got junk model for other businesses yeah so i would do it for irrigation for lawn mowing for painting which is already happening and for landscaping right and it sounds like window washing is in that vein yeah so maybe you don't even need these freaking drones to do it but that's definitely a cool shtick so the private equity play is you go you buy up these businesses they have a book of business they do recurring revenue probably with the same buildings and you say okay i'm gonna buy this five million dollar a year business for eight million or ten million tell me ten million bucks um or you do smaller ones you buy a bunch of one million dollar a year businesses and then you could bring in this technology to increase the efficiency so they're getting 50 percent margin you could get 70 percent. and there's two playbooks to look at if you want to replicate this the first is um dentists so pe right now is gobbling up dentists dentistry dentist dentist we have friends (laughs) who are doing this i think we have like three like Sieva looked into doing it and then like two other guys I think we know they love it and so what they do is they find a dentist that does two million a year in revenue and they buy the company and he's like 60 ready yeah. to retire in a few years and they buy it for maybe if it's like a three million dollar revenue thing they probably buy it for like a million dollars 
Yeah, ba- basically they'll buy it at like one, I think one to two x EBITDA, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so basically, the, the you pay guy, back your money in a year or two. Yeah. So they buy it for the dentist's salary. Right. Times two. And they give him, you know, you still keep this little piece and you keep getting your salary, but you don't have to run this business anymore uh, in, the, in the sort of all, all the administration, marketing, and they centralize it. So they'll go buy 10 of these dentistries and then they'll put, they'll be like, okay, we'll have one central office that's doing Facebook ads, driving traffic to all these. We'll bring all your billing stuff into one central place because why do you need four people doing billing because health insurance is, you know, all complicated. And so they centralize, which makes each one more efficient. And basically, the dentist is already playing golf two days or three days a week. And uh, they're like, look, here's a, you know, accelerated retirement for you. And the goal here is you just, you kind of become a little bit of a, just a marketing company. Right. And so, um, we're, well, we uh, missed the punchline, though. A couple of these roll-ups, I think, like, in Canada, 70% of dentists, you know, numbers wrong, but something like that, a huge percentage of, the, of, of all the dentist's office have been rolled up now in Canada, and a couple of them have been taken public, uh, the roll-ups, what, for $3 billion. Name them. I don't know the names. Okay, well... That's we'll look it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I'm because Henry, what, if you want to Google dentistry roll up Canada goes public, um, I would do that. And then the other model that you can look at for this is old people homes, nursing homes, uh, like so many p. I mean, this is like so. My wife's dad owns three senior care facilities. Yeah, and so I was looking into this because I was like, wow, this thing is a cash cow, and um, I think it's soul crushing. That's the problem with it. Because he was like, hey, you guys want to take this over? And we were just like, oh, the money's there. But like... It sucks. I don't want this to be like my life, you know? Like, I think in general, people want to avoid nursing homes at all yeah, costs. That. And so getting into it earlier than you need to was painful. But he's making money doing How it. How much does it make a month? Like a million dollars um, It depends month, on the least, size. Right? So, so basically, the model is you go and you... Um, you can buy an existing nursing home, but what he looks for is he says, okay, this is an existing nursing home. It's got 28 beds, but it's permitted for 42. And so he'll either just buy it, he'll build out the other beds. And so, and then the other thing is he'll buy things that are motels today. So motel, the room or the bed might rent for like, I don't know, $150 a night. And so that becomes, let's call it four grand, you know, ish a month. And what he does is for, for senior care, you're charging seven grand, eight grand here in California for each bed. And you can put two beds in a room and then you could do memory care, special, you know, d- dementia ward on the bottom. And that's like 12 grand. And so, so you just put all the bullshit upsells into it. The problem is, is that your upsell is a dementia ward, <laughs> yes. you know? So it's like, all right, clearly a lot of money can be made. You are definitely providing but the valuable is, service to people. Yeah, it's you're you're like, not scamming people, right? You're not scamming people. It's but it is a it's a it's a saddening business to be in. Yeah, and so for these so uh we're we're getting off track, but let's go. So so my father-in-law owns a moving company in New York and it's a medium middle medium-sized business and it's done the same amount of like let's say let's just say some number between 10 and 30 million in sales every single year and real profitable. I go, well, how do you make this bigger? He goes, I'd have to buy everyone out and I don't feel like doing it. I got a good life. And so I would, you could do that for these window things. And if I was one of these, uh, drone window companies, companies. I would look into doing that's that. what you would do yeah yeah you you wouldn't necessarily go the oh raise VC and try to build this organically this is more of you take you know you take some capital and you start rolling up these businesses and then you already have technology for efficiency yeah and uh, I know people who did this uh, a bunch of my friends from Nashville's were just these scam artists and they would do this for the locksmith industry 
They would do what? Um, and so, so when you roll up, the reason you roll up a company is because you want to get efficient operations. Specific, another thing you want to do is you want to like centralize marketing. And right. so basically, if you own 20 different businesses, you want to be dishing off leads to them so they constantly have new business coming in. Right. Then, and we're actually in trends. Um, we're running a report on hotels. Brad, is that going to go live next week? The hotel thing? Okay, so we're going to have a thing. This is what Hilton does. So they franchise out the hotels. Right. Everyone knows the Hilton brand. You centralize to, the marketing. Yes. you central, Everyone knows Hilton. They buy all the ads everywhere. You go to Hilton.com, book a hotel, then they dish it off to their franchisees. So um, that's what... What was I talking about? It's called locksmiths. That's what locksmiths were, do in Nashville. But what was scammy about it? Or you're just saying these guys well, in general they're, are scammy. They're scammy about it is because they could rank really easily for Nashville locksmiths, and they don't give you the price. And then when they get there, they just see how much money they can get out of you. Gotcha. And then the locksmith, who is like typically where I live, they're all Israelis. And so they all would knew each other from Israel, and they would come over, and they would be like, uh, they would go to your house. And you're in a pinch, yeah. clearly. And it seems like the top 10... <laughs> You read reviews, you're like, the reviews in this one are only okay. The reviews in this one are kind of good. It's all the same company. And um, they're, they're all the same. My friend owned it. Right. And they would all, it was all the same. And then they wouldn't really tell you how much the price is. And then you'd get there and they'd be like, all right, I bet you I can get 200 bucks. And so they would charge the, the lady, the, the customer $200. And then they would give the owner just like 20 or $30. Right. And so the owner was just a um, lead gem machine. That's so funny. When... Um my sister had a baby and we the baby was at a party and we put the baby to sleep in this room it was like in this like the bassinet or whatever and we closed the door so there wouldn't be oh, too much noise shit. door gets locked baby's inside baby wakes up starts crying we realize the door is locked pretty panicking moment did for you like break the window parent. or call someone so called locksmith right away the israeli i don't know if they're israeli so it's an israeli thing so, well, this is san francisco so maybe not maybe not as much but maybe it was person shows up it's like this is like we're indoors we're not this is not like your front door like complicated lock it's like a bedroom doorknob and uh, they're like four hundred dollars and we were like no fucking way like, and then they were like no chance well and they right. were like well it's four hundred dollars i can hear a baby crying inside don't you want to get and we were like yo just out of principle like no and then we just busted down the door with our shoulder and like got in good <laughs> because that That's was just works. outrageous no it was uh it was a, a good friend of mine did this he and he was from israel and he told me he goes yeah for some reason like it's a trade back in israel and so we'll come here and then we get all of our friends to come here and we just <laughs> dominate the market right <laughs> it's like indians in motels there's it's not even indians there's a specific uh, group of indians whose last name Are is all indian patel pakistani indian and indians love motels i think indians own 70 or 80 percent of all motels and dunkin donuts period <laughs> and uh, actually, families with the last name Patel, all, specifically all the because they're like they're sharing. There's a book about this. I, I know. Uh, what, you, what? All right, so Dennis. Dennis. Canada, all right. That. So uh, there's a couple of companies that are big in this, and apparently, uh, only about two percent of the companies uh, that, of the dentists in Canada actually roll get rolled up into these corporations. So 98 percent of dentists. There's are... a lot of opportunity, but there was, it started about four years ago where this one company called the Dental Corporation of Canada. I heard about this Dental Corporation of Canada. That's a, that's and the. They've got like 160 practices that they rolled up. Um, and they, what they, there's a, a law that, uh, that makes the dentist, the dentist actually still has to have the practice registered in their name, uh, but then that allows the dentist to make even more money, but these corporate players come in and roll up a bunch so, of uh, So how big was Corp, the roll up, does it say? Well, Dental Corp has 168 dent dentists. What was their revenue? Doesn't say. Are they public? No. 
there definitely was a three billion dollar roll up um, that I remember looking That's into. Crazy, man. That's and then awesome. also, I believe BlackRock, Blackstone, one of those two, they were they're heavy in this business now so, as well. Um, maybe tomorrow or Friday, let's have a roll up edition because I can list a whole bunch of yeah. companies that have done this, and I'm crazy. So you're saying with rather than half talking about it and half knowing it, we yeah. should? Uh, okay, gotcha. Okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on, and tomorrow we'll know everything about this industry. Okay, quick break, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my Saturday morning routines. So every Saturday I wake up in the morning and, you know, some people watch cartoons, some people read the newspaper, some people check the mail, some people exercise. I go to quietlightbrokerage.com and I check out what's for sale. So if you don't know, Quietlight is a, um, a platform where you can buy and sell online businesses. So if you don't want to start something from scratch or you don't know if your idea is any good, you can go on here and you can see ideas that are already proven, they're already working to some extent. And you can either sell your business or you can buy a business off here and try to grow it and improve it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, one of our most popular episodes was with Ramon, Ramon Van Meer, who, um, you know, sold his soap opera blog, even though he'd never watched a soap opera in his life. He built one of the most popular soap opera blogs for $9 million in cash uh, on this website. He has bought multiple businesses off Quiet Light as well. And um, we had Paul on here. He sold his FBA business for, for seven figures on Quiet Light. So it is a fantastic place to sell your business. It's a fantastic place for me to look for businesses. Like I'm on it right now, and I see a kid's monthly subscription box. It started in 2018, so it's fairly new. Asking price is $149,000. So you could buy this on an SBA loan. Uh, you don't have to put too much money down. And um, you know it makes 50 k a year in profit. And there's ones that go all the way up to millions of dollars in profit per year. So whether you're looking for something small or something big, uh, Quiet Light's got a great, great little selection. And it's not just like everything that's for sale. They curate and they qualify. Only certain businesses get in and get on here. And when you're interested in something, they have all the financials in a folder organized. They have interviews with the founders that will tell you, you know, what, how they run their business, how many hours a week they put in, that sort of thing. Very good business. Um, all right. So for any listeners for the podcast, they're offering a 25-point checklist to see how sellable is your online business. So um, if you have a business right now that's making money and you're interested, you would love to sell it someday, check out this thing. Check out what the 25-point checklist is to see how sellable your online business is. To get the free guide, it's at quietlightbrokerage.com slash myfirstmillion. Again, that's quietlightbrokerage.com slash myfirstmillion. The zillion beers thing. What happened? Yeah. What is this? Okay, so uh, Barstool just put a clinic on marketing on how to do marketing right. Okay, so what? Tell me the story. I, okay, don't, I don't know so what. I don't get what happened. Barstool Sports. We'll we'll dumb it down. Barstool Sports, um, media company like ESPN or Bleacher Report, but personality driven and it's like more, ESPN after three beers. Basically, yeah, it's just like comedy. It's more. It's like SNL. It's more comedy and fiction than it is uh, whatever. Uh, it's not journalism, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it is. Some, I mean, every once in a while they'll have something amazing. But yeah, no, it's it's just a bunch of, like, it's for the average man by the average man is their tagline. Okay, um, they have a guy. He's a camera guy. And Henry's a big fan, so he knows too. They have a guy, a camera guy named Dana. Dana was getting made fun of one day, like 10 days ago, for drinking too many beers. And he said a line, like he tweeted out, and he said some line like, I'm just a guy who drinks a zillion beers. And he starts like talking about zillion beers over the course <laughs> of a day. And his boss, Dave Portnoy, uh, was like, dude, you're a cameraman. You're not a content guy. Quit this zillion beer stuff. Yeah, try, stop trying to make it a thing. Stop trying to make it a thing. And Dana goes, 
Dave, I bet you I can sell like $30,000 worth of zillion dollar beer merch. And Dave goes, if you do that, I'll give you 10 grand or something like that. And they blew past it. Then after a few days of this going back and forth, it gets to the point of, if you sell a million dollars worth of merch in the next five days, I'll give you a hundred grand. Right. <laughs> he has he he hit it. He, he crossed that. He got one point five million in the how long do you think that lasted? So he created days? a brand essentially on the fly. Zillion so he created beers. a brand called Zillion Beers and in ten days sold one point six million dollars in merch. Nice. And throughout this process, pretty much the the way in which they sold merch was pretty much all twitter and so i was watching like as a marketing person i was looking at dana went from having a thousand followers on twitter's to whatever he has now maybe one hundred fifty thousand followers on twitter in 10 days and he would get into draw like draw like a fights like so for example he met this girl on twitter and she flew out and they started like talking about how they're dating now even though they just met and then the ex-boyfriend starts tweeting at him and he's like all right me and you we're gonna get in a fight at rough and rowdy i put a hundred grand on the line and so that that became a storyline there's like a dozen different storylines it was all just happening like a weekend basically yeah and everyone was following it in real time i didn't go out on valentine's day because i was just refreshing twitter and just like reading about all of this it was amazing yeah that is amazing i saw it happening i didn't understand the Can full backstory um, um yeah i uh, i saw it all happening I, I i don't even drink beer and i bought 150 dollars worth of zillion beer merch <laughs> Yeah, just out of respect for yeah. the, for, for what was going on. I thought it was great <laughs> to support the cause. It's like a it's it's like a rowdy Kickstarter that he did. I love it. Yeah, and so I think the takeaway here is like they Barstool put on a clinic of like how fast you can do stuff. Yeah. And people want to be a part of something. And so it's one thing to just sell merch. It's another thing to be a part of something, which is like, oh, my God. Once it gets the momentum of we're going for a million, holy shit, we're going to do it. My boss bet against me. Help me beat the man. Uh, I think it like it just caught this wave of it wasn't about the merch, obviously. Like none of it was about the merch. It was about putting it into Dave's face and being right. like, oh, you doubted him. We're all going to get behind him. And this guy, Dana, the guy behind it, he's like a total bro. But he seems like a really good person, and it was fun watching him like be excited, watching him win. Yeah, and people, he put his Venmo out there, and I Venmoed him like fifty bucks. People Venmoed him money collectively. He got like three grand, and he <laughs> went and uh, blew it all at a fancy restaurant. And it was funny seeing like a redneck eat at a steak restaurant in Manhattan. Have you seen this guy, Mr. Beast? Do you know who that is? Love Mr. Beast. So if you if you don't know who Mr. Beast is, um, he's this YouTuber who's grown like crazy in the last like. 18 months really he's new he's, he's, new. he's like a new guy but he's blown past i don't know how many subscribers but in the maybe tens of millions of subscribers now and uh his whole thing is he's just like he just gives away um money to people well like he does challenges but like specifically he he'll give away cars so for example he goes to a used car dealership and he buys 10 cars which each car is probably five or ten thousand dollars right. so maybe he's in 40 or 50 grand on this thing and people come to buy the car and the and he acts like the salesman and the lady will be like all right this car looks good and he goes okay here and he gives her the keys he goes no it's yours right and they film it and they film it and this the reaction it's kind of like that like it has a feel-good element to it because you see people who are like no way like but it's funny he'll he'll go to a restaurant and leave a two thousand dollar tip on a ten dollar bill and they're like people break down crying and then sometimes it's funny where he'll be like he'll take four friends he'll buy a lambo and be like Put your hand on this Lambo. First person, uh, last person to have their hand on this Lambo keeps the Lambo. And they just, for two days straight, they just have their hand on this thing. They're passing out. And they, you know, he he turns on YouTube content. And he's brilliant because he gets brands to pay for the whole thing. So this one brand, Quip, or 
quid or quip? The, the, I think it's, it's not the toothbrush. It's like this like tr- stickers trading cards thing on online. I think it's quid. Um, quid has given this guy, you know, they'll just put up the 50K. He does the challenge. He, sp- he shouts out quid and they're happy for it because their videos are getting like millions of views. And so it's way better branded content than usual. And so he basically took brand money and parlayed it into being like huge, uh, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. And he even did a thing where he raised a hundred million $20 million for trees. Trees, Trent planted trees. And the founder of Shopify gave him 100 or sorry, a million. Elon gave him a million. Yeah. And he raised $20 million in two weeks or. Yeah. Less. And I have a friend who talked to him on the phone the other day uh, to do a campaign and he was like. What friend? Uh, Jason. Uh, so Jason Hitchcock, shout out to Jason. So he was like, t- you know, talking to him. And uh, he, he when he got off the phone, he's like, yeah, I talked to Mr. Beast, really cool. I talked to his agent or whatever. Uh, and. He described, he's like, you know, one weird thing happens, which is didn't plan for this, you know, sort of success. You get the success, but the YouTube game is such that you kind of need to top yourself every time. He's probably getting exhausted. And so he's like, dude, the stress of like, okay, we gave away a Lambo through this like crazy thing. Next week, what do I do? Like, okay. And it's just this constant bar raising, which is really tough. So when we first launched our company, I get a phone call from... Elizabeth Murdoch. You know who Elizabeth Murdoch is? Rupert Murdoch's daughter? Yeah. Okay. It's just a big shot. And she was like, hey, you guys want to do these videos? I'm launching this new thing and I need video content. And uh, I was like, no, that's not what we're trying to do. But let's stay friends and shoot the shit. And she goes, okay, well, I'll find someone else. So she finds someone else to do it. And they start a YouTube channel. And that YouTube channel is now called Yes Theory. Have you heard of Yes Theory? I've heard of it, yeah. They got five or six million subscribers. And uh, I've become friends with them over the years. And they have a... I mean, they're like famous. They're like legit famous. I I have no idea if it's a good business. But I bet you they make... They could each pay themselves a million dollars a year. So pretty good for young people. Pretty good for anyone. And uh, each week, they're having to do crazier and crazy shit. And they've had to do this for three years now. Every (laughs) video is like... I went to the most remote island in the world <laughs> right. by myself. <laughs> right. And it, it, it's three guys now. Uh, and they're like taking turns over doing crazy shit. <laughs> like it's the crazy stuff was like, I asked my Uber driver if she, if she wants to go to Paris and we went straight to Paris and went there. Right. And now they're like doing variations of that. It's like, oh my God, that shit's exhausting. It's like if Jackass, if Steve-O and the Jackass crew had YouTube and uh, like they would have to do this every week. Like we were just lucky that they were lucky that the cadence was like, you know, season of TV or a movie because when it's weekly it's just insane which is why Casey Neistat and Logan Paul Jake Paul all these guys eventually they you know they do this daily grind for so long but they burn out like the content burnout is crazy for sure it's not gonna happen to us though well it's not gonna happen to us we, we just sit and do nothing I mean, <laughs> yeah, imagine not though, like having to get on a plane and like or like Logan Paul you gotta like yell at someone or like go break up with a girlfriend every week yeah, you gotta go like, box someone yeah you gotta like so, I got a Rupert Murdoch story because you said Murdoch. Um, I'm so impressed with this dude. So he gets a lot of hate because like his business practices and whatnot. People think he's like a tyrant in a way. Um, he is. And he is. And like the show Success, Succession is basically about their family. Um, good show. So we had this opportunity to pitch Rupert Murdoch. So uh, Michael, who's my investor, comes to me and says, hey, we got invited to this thing. Um, basically, every year during CES, Rupert Murdoch... Uh, brings all the CEOs of his companies um, through News Corp. So they own Wall Street Journal, I think, or New York uh, New York Post, they own Fox, and Sky. And, and like, then they own uh, Penguin Publishing. Right. They own um, uh, Realtor.com. So he is the media mogul, right? Like, that's cool. So 
basically once a year they all get together it's during ces they go to the win and they rent out the entire top floor of win and so all the rooms there are all the execs and they have the biggest suite the penthouse suite of the win and what they do is they and i i really admire this they go from 8 a.m. to about 7 p.m. every single day for two days straight. And every hour is just they, – they just bring in a speaker. Um, not like a speaker. It's like a, an industry leader from something. And they just um, – they just grill them. So it's like you, you start by just telling me a little bit about your business and then it's 30 minutes of Q&A from the CEOs of all these companies because they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we play into this? So when I was there, it was like literally CEO of Google, CEO of Slack, number three guy at Facebook, just back to Wait, back to back. The CEO of Google was the one getting grilled? Yeah, he would go and he would explain, here's what, here's where we're going Why next the year. that guy? Isn't that guy... Because these are big media partners for them. They they want to have these media partners working with them. So they'll say, here's where we're going next year. And, uh, but it's off the record, right? So it's more candid than you're ever going to get these guys. And I, they told me, you can just come for your slot, you know, this 45-minute slot. But Rupert's here the whole but day. But I was like, I'm sitting here the whole day. Like, this is why, like, with why my popcorn. Why did you get to sit there? Because we were going to present at the end of the day and so we had access oh. so i just sat there at 8 a.m i'm there with my seat so here's what i noticed during the day a lot of the ceos you know they'd be interested in certain people but for the most part you know they get hungry they go to the bathroom rupert murdoch i don't know how old he is this guy's like 80s like he looks old and he is old and that guy sat right up front with a paper and a pencil did not get up did not take a break he was the he most didn't take, att- didn't take a piss he was the most attentive he asked the best questions he was like a machine and i was like that's why this guy's rupert murdoch i was so impressed by this guy um his just endurance really and also just his level of focus where everybody else was wandering um throughout the day because that's what you normally do and that's kind of contagious did he ask questions? but i loved how the leader was like on point because it held everybody else like closer to that standard did he ask questions yes good questions yeah which is funny because if you're the ceo of one of his companies you're already maybe a billion and some of them might be billionaire i mean you're a, you're you're up there i don't know if you're billionaire, but yeah you're maybe doing super well if you sold like it'd be like your it was like the ceo of fox studios like oh yeah we make these movies for this year and it's like oh whatever you know marvel but like it's like these are big individual brands you're you're a big you're a big swinging dick you're yeah a big guy so that was incredible i just thought that was really cool and i gotta give him props for that it was i was very impressed that's crazy. Uh, I'm trying to think about what what else was important. I think another piece that was that was cool there was setting his company up for success because the media business. I mean, a lot of his stuff was he literally started with newspapers, local newspapers, and so you very easily companies like that can miss all these shifts and become like extinct. I think one of the reasons they haven't is because he probably has this learning culture, and um, sounds corny, but. What he did was pretty badass. It was like, we're here. We're not going to go tell these guys what 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 the world is. We're going to be the listener. We're going to be the student here. And um, and so I thought that was pretty badass that he set up. He architected these days, which was just you know action packed with like top top people of the world coming and teaching them about the future. And even us, like, why did he have us? He had four startup slots. Uh, you know, it was all big companies. They had four startup slots. We were one of the startup slots. You got grilled like, by him. Yeah, because it was like, okay, you guys are doing something interesting was when we were doing Blab. And he was like, okay, tell us about the future. You're not big yet, but you're growing and we think you're interesting. And so um, tell us what you know that the big companies don't know. And they would ask questions, like very good questions like like that. Like what is the um, – if we're us, one of the questions he asked was, what is uh, what are we stupid for not doing? Like when you look at our business – uh, what do you look at and you just say, well, you are stupid for not doing this? This is our enterprise version of trends, Brad. <laughs> the, is having that. 
Nice. Uh, so, anyways, that's what I learned from the from these guys. I thought it was pretty awesome. God, that's badass. Who are the other three companies? Uh, one was Alfred. Um, the, the skim was there. Um, oh, right, you told me. I this. told you about this because I was sitting there. I was well, like, so Fox is an investor of the skim. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was cool. And in fact, I heard the guys in the back because I was sitting at the back when that was happening is like probably not the people who were doing it. Um, I, or they weren't investors at the time and they were just like, like, <laughs> They were like, yeah, this is cool and all, but, and then they were just like ragging on it in the back because they were just like, look, it, you know, here's what the numbers are. Here's where, you know, this is not big enough yet for it to matter to us. And, but Rupert at the front was kind of like, what do we not know like about this business? He wasn't, it's easy if you're a huge conglomerate to just look at everything and say, you're small, you mean nothing. And that's what the guys in the back were doing. But at the front, Rupert was sort of like, email, interesting, tell me more. And like was going through these like, you know, you could tell he was searching for what he doesn't know um, rather than the guys at the back thinking they know everything and not really being open to learning something new from the people who are talking. Crazy. So one other idea that's similar to something we were talking about earlier is this um, revenge against the spam calls. Have you heard about this? Yeah. I um, tried to write about this last year because I bought one of these apps, Robocall, yep. Robocaller. Amazing. I did research on it. Huge business. And I, the, one of the reasons I know it's huge is because I did research on them and I try to find everything. And immediately I knew it was going to be big because it was so hard to find information on them. So tell me what that business, or what, what, explain what they do first. And then I'll tell you about what this new guy this, is doing that is interesting. This one, I think it was based in New Jersey. They have many different apps. One of them being RoboVisor, I think it's called. And users like me pay maybe 50 bucks a year. And... If someone calls that's clearly a spammer, it goes straight to their voicemail. Or if it is a suspicious one, it just says on my voicemail, suspicious, like, right. sp this is a spoof call. Right. And so I know to avoid. And so so that existed um, and this company called True Caller that's huge internationally that does this. True Caller? True Caller is like a universal caller ID. We should do it on Android. On True Caller. It's like... It's like a WhatsApp. It's going to be like a WhatsApp-sized exit, I think, or like you know that's it's going to be multiple, multi billion. multiple billions of dollars on this thing called TrueCaller, and it's not that relevant in the U.S. because we don't have the same problems that you have internationally with not knowing phones. People switch phone numbers all the time there. Dude, I get ten spam calls a day. So Apple started doing this, but what this guy's doing is interesting. So so this guy uh, Joshua, he has this company called Do Not Pay. I love yep, this. Company. I signed up for it. So Do Not Pay, for those who don't know, is. Um, he follows me on Twitter, so we'll make sure he sees us. Yeah, so, so Do Not Pay is cool. So basically, it's like you get a bullshit parking ticket. So you know like you can actually contest a lot of these because either they filled out the form wrong, and therefore you don't have to pay, or technically you, it was just wrong, you don't have to pay. So it doesn't work as good as you think, though. And I'll tell you why. There right. used to be a company called Fix It. Yep. And I knew people invested in it. I used it. And the way it would work is you would register your license. And anytime your car got a parking ticket, before you even got to your car, the app told you. And it automatically fought, fought the ticket in San Francisco right. court. And you would pay fix it half the price. Whatever you got back out of your uh, yeah, and uh, they would, refund. They would always get it reduced. Right. And it was awesome. San Francisco outlawed it yeah, because it was, just, it was just cramming the system. Right. So these guys did something interesting, though. They started off with that, which is you can fight tickets. But it's like, what else can we do? What else is like they, they call themselves sort of Robin Hood. Uh, they're trying to sort of take money and, and give it back to the. And the guy's the, like 20 years old. 21. He's very young, gets a ton of press with this, very smart. That's how he grows. But they have other use cases. For example, um, they have a credit card, a virtual credit card that you can use. I that use will that. Automatically cancel your free trials. So, so privacy.com offers that. I, it's a great product. Right. 
and then they have a couple other ones. One is um, where they, where they um, they contest. What is it? They they have a couple. They have like four different things that they contest. The new one that they came out with is we still get spam calls. And so what they do is twofold. There's this thing called the do not call list or whatever the do not call registry. And so they if you download their app, what they'll do is they'll sign you up for the do not call registry. But the problem is spammers don't care about the do not call registry. They just call you anyways because they know that you're not going to take the time to like go and you know enforce this. You're not going to go fight or figure it out. So then they ought, so first they put you on the registry. Then when you get a spam call, they give you a little credit card to give to the spammer uh, and to the scammer. And when they give, when they use those details, they automatically generate paperwork to sue them for three grand. And so there's like, a, you can sue for three grand every time they commit this mistake. And so what they're doing is they're automating the like three thousand dollar lawsuit uh, for for this robocall for the spam call thing. And I just think it's a very smart model of like saving people money through these small hacks. I like this. Do and not pay. So this guy has. That's a great segment that we should go through more of small hacks that make big differences um this guy what's his name joshua something i think he's 21 he raised money from peter Thiel, a substantial amount 10 million maybe maybe um okay bullish or um yeah bullish i I think these are good i think there's enough people that are that don't want to be ripped off in these like five ways they have like five things they can defend against and uh one of those is going to be like a repeatable use case um that that's going to work okay i would say that i am bullish on the industry bullish on the product ideas the guy josh seems like a loose cannon yeah which really usually goes the bad way but the great outliers end up being right massive and he's getting a ton of pr because he is what you're talking about he loves to go and champion the cause he's great for media well, he's a shithead so he gets a bunch of free pr he's a huge because shithead he's doing controversial things yeah okay so on that note i have a note up here that says what charlie munger said about elon musk um so it's directly related to what you just said so Somebody was asking Charlie Munger, hey, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on Tesla? What are your thoughts on Elon Musk? Because it's one of the most like polarizing companies. He's one of the most polarizing CEOs. And so here's what he said. I want to know if you agree with this or not. So he goes, um, he first said, you know, I wouldn't long or short the stock. Um, I think it's a great product. And he said, my most important comment was this. He goes, never underestimate the man who overestimates himself. I think Elon Musk is peculiar in that he may overestimate himself. But he's not wrong all the time. And when he's right, he seems to be right very big. And, he, and so, these, so that was the first thing. I like that quote. Never underestimate the man who, who overestimates himself. And then the second thing he said was, they said, would you hire Elon as one of your CEOs for a Berkshire Hathaway company? And he goes, no, never. He goes, I want the guy who understands his limitations instead of the guy who doesn't. Um, you know, I've learned this lesson in life that these weird guys who overestimate themselves, they occasionally knock it out of the park. But me personally, I don't want to be around a guy uh, around somebody who's in a who lives in a state of delusion and who who occasionally happens to win big. I want a prudent person. So I want to know your opinions on this. I feel so like you're gonna have a good. I take. feel like I just said exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> so when I try to hire sometimes uh, certain people, I'm like, a loose cannon here could work. Like, I basically, like, you hang out with a lot of these guys. Like, I these, love like, the wild cards. These, like, hackers. Because at Sean's old office, it had an apartment. And there, he would meet a guy on the internet. And <laughs> literally five days later, the guy would fly from Germany and basically live in that apartment. Right. And literally will, would never leave. Like, yeah. he, I could see, <laughs> like, you had that German kid live yeah. with you. I bet you he could have been in that apartment for five days. And he maybe only brought a book bag and a t-shirt. <laughs> right. 
Um, and then he overstays his visa and he's just, <laughs> everything is just crazy. So I like those types of people. Yeah. I, I for sure like them and I like being around them. I don't trust any of them. I expect that they will do mostly nothing, but the one or two times that they pull through, it's going to be massive, massive, so, massive. So let me, let me ask so you, I for, for you yourself, that. would you say you're more in the bucket of, you know, kind of the delusional type who overestimates themselves, but sometimes knocks it out of the park? Or are you more the prudent, pragmatic person who um, takes a realistic view and is sort of a steady hand at running a company? Which type are you? That's a good question. Or do you have both gears? I think I have both. What do you think? I think Adam does a pretty good spreadsheet. <laughs> He's pretty predictable. Adam is clearly the second type, yeah. right? Adam is clearly the the pragmatic, diligent, steady hand, not look, not trying to swing for home runs so all the time. I, I, I would say occasionally I'm fine betting it all. Um, if my business goes away entirely tomorrow because we bet it, I wouldn't be upset. So I would say I am closer to that wild card one, but not entirely. Right. And then um, with hiring people, it sounds like you hire mostly for, I think naturally, you hire mostly for the prudent, steady hand. It's a ratio. So I think you need a few of these loose loose, loose, loose cannons. Right. Um, and that's where cool stuff comes out of. But most of the stuff that they come up with is really dumb and stupid. Right. And there's also an art to managing a wild card. Yeah, Furkan's a wild card. He's a wild card for sure. Um, and he's steady. And he... Um, and you know what I did with him? He's out emotional. And he'll bet it all. We hired him, and within a few like weeks, I was like, "A, this guy's amazing, uh, and B, this guy's a wild card. Like, I can't handle him like I can handle most people in the company." And so I, se- I literally separated him. I was like, "Look, um, you need to work with people who are like you, because when you work with these people, they're going to drive you crazy because they're so steady. They're nine to five. They're no highs, no lows. You're just getting what you get." And I was like, "You will hate that that style." And so I said. I want you to hire your own team and only you do the interviews. Nobody else is going to give their input. Like, oh, you make the decision. You don't, there's a CTO. You can hire outside what the CTO wants, which was like pretty controversial at the time. So I was like, you hire your own team. He hired all people who had either dropped out, never went to school, these hacker types that would just be up all night. He, because he knows how to manage the wild cards. And so he hired a team of wild cards, basically. I love those people. So if you have them in your team or your company, like make sure you're not just treating them the way you will, because they will be very frustrated and you won't be getting the value of their like potential. My friend, Jack, Jack, my best friend, Jack Smith, he's one of them. Sold his company for $800 million. Uh, six months ago, he got all the money. I was like, what are you going to do with it? He's like, I think I'm going to go and put all it like in some major bet. And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm about to go buy the, like, and he had done that even before he sold that money. He had uh, a fair bit of money, but he, not that much and that, but he didn't have any income right. on a consistent basis. He would bet all of it. All, <laughs> like ev- at least once a month, he would literally have like a few thousand dollars to his name yeah. and seven figures on some like short or like a Dude, stock. We got to get Jack in Consistently. Here. He always did that. What about you, Sam? Um, I, I know I don't think that I take risky uh, investment. No, I don't think my in our. I don't think I'm that risky. But you spread it around a lot, right? Um, I put like ten or twenty percent of my liquid assets into very, very, very high risk things where it's just probably going to go to zero. Um, I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, that's not too crazy. Especially given the age and earning potential you have going forward, yeah, it's I don't, fine. I, I, I'll, I'll do some crazy stuff, but no, I mean, I know people that will literally empty their bank account on things. Right. Do, do you have any friends like that? Um, 
Yeah, I have I have friends. It's not so much like the empty their bank account on things, but I have friends that once they get to conviction, like Suli is like this, um, and we should we should have him join us one of these times. But he's the type where when he has conviction in something, the question is not like. Um, he, do, he, he breaks all the rules of his like usual investing and he'll go and try to like plow the money in own as much as he can create a competitor to it. You know, like he, when, when he gets his mind into something and he believes there's an opportunity, he goes like into hunting mode. Like I remember we were investing in Lambda school and like, I brought this deal to the table and I was like, Hey, I think it's great for these reasons. And I set up the call and like, but once he got to conviction, um, you know, the, the CEO would be like, Hey, yeah, you're in, um, I'm going to send you the docs in a couple days. And so he would ask me, he's like, where are those docs? Let's get those docs. Let's text him again. Let's call him. And I didn't realize, like, I think part of it is like, as an investor, it's easy to get squeezed out. You never know what's going on. So you're sort of in a state of paranoia. But the other part was like, when he knows what he wants, he goes for it at a degree that I wasn't used to. And then once I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, that's how you're supposed to go for these things. Well, speaking Got of it. Munger, he once said, he goes, all I do is find in companies that I can invest in that require no diversification. Like the perfect investment is one where you don't you don't you don't do any diver- diversifying. You put all of it into that one. And I always am looking for those, which you normally will never find one, but right. you try to find ones close to it. Yeah, because they go for value investing. So they go for essentially what they consider a sure bet, where it's right. already the value is already baked into what it is. I don't have to bet on the future. Um, I'm getting it at such a mispriced moment that like, yeah, I want to take as much as I can of that asset because I'm I'm already sure it's worth that today. And it's just mispriced by the market. Good. I think we should do a case study on a couple of these. Some of them are big, uh, like tens of millions of dollars business. And we'll do true caller. True call. Okay. So on trends, uh, go to trends.co and sign up and we will have a case study on this in the next week or so. And um, um, I think we should talk about this chess thing real quick because I think it's um, a good... It's a good example of a, business. Mis- of a mistake a lot of people make. So in the in the Facebook group, um, the My First Million Facebook group, um, somebody posted this. So somebody, uh, Priyav, they posted. They said, hey, I'm a 20-year-old college uh, nearly dropout here. I run MyChessTutor.com. MyChessTutor.com. It's an online chess academy. We currently have about 90 weekly students. It's doing 12.5K MRR. Growth has been slow. And as you can imagine, chess is not really like this you know, super widespread thing. It's niche. Um, question. He's like, I really want to learn about um, a new high income skill or take on another high potential project, but I'm not sure where to start. Um, you know, I just feel like I'm capped out here. And this was like such a you mistake. You are not capped out. Yeah. This was a mistake I would have made when I was 20. And so immediately I was like, are you joking? Explain the business. So it's a, it's a mychesstutor.com. It's basically a, a coaching academy for chess players, young chess players. And it's doing 12500 a month. How do they pay? What's that? You, you, pay, you pay for the training, basically. You, is it like a digital training or do you have a coach? Uh, I don't know if it's... I think it's coach. I think they match you with a coach. Got it. So I think you know, there's some revenue split here. But I would say this, you're 20 years old, you have this chess thing that only on 90 students, which is like 90 is basically Nothing. zero, yeah. um, you're doing 12 and a half K a month, which is like extremely respectable for a 20 year old person who's d- d- been doing this thing. Um, chess is a niche. Yes, but it's way bigger than 90. And in some of the comments here, somebody was like, hey, um, like, just so you know, like the U.S. national, you know, elementary chess tournament has 2,500 players. That's a tournament. That's a t- one tournament. That's elementary school 
just U.S. And so, so, like, you're not capped out by any means. I mean, do you think that this guy could get 5,000 people to pay for this? Yes. Totally. I totally, totally agree. So what's uh, what's the difference? What's, what's that the, revenue if he gets 5,000 people? Uh, I mean, let's just do the math here. So, And we get made fun of because our on-the-spot math sucks. While you're doing the math, Jason Lumpkin, who's an advisor to me, uh, famous, not it's not famous, but he he says it, and he told me he goes, if you can get to ten million in revenue, you can get to a hundred million in revenue. Right. There's these benchmarks. If, he says, I think if you get to one, you can get. To, there's a high chance you get to ten. If you get to ten, there's a high chance you get to a hundred. It may take a long time. Right. It takes a long time, but, but you like, can do it. And his thing is like, don't sell early. And this is basically saying, don't quit early. So what's it? What's don't the, get ADD. Okay. So okay, the they're making one hundred forty bucks per kid, and. If you had 5,000 students enrolled in this, you're doing about 700 grand a month in monthly revenue as, you know, an online chess school. And yeah, I so totally million, believe this is a, achievable. 100%. Now, the question is rarely like, can, this, million be, a year. can this be big enough? Typically, it's do I raise money or not? In yeah, this case, Ray, if you are going to raise money, make sure it's under a million dollars. Yeah, because likely don't raise anything. Yeah, don't and, raise anything. And if you could own this business and pay yourself $5 million a year. Yeah, and and also the question is like, how do you get bigger? Uh, because probably it's what you're doing. Uh, the reason you're getting shiny object syndrome and trying to look for a new business idea is because you can't, you don't figure out, you don't know how to make more progress in this one, and so you need to get with somebody who's a little bit smarter than you. Like, I'll help you. Just message Wait, me. I was about to say, we'll do a session. Have you gone like, to the website? No, I haven't. Is it good looking? Ask him if he wants to sell it. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're capped out. This you should sucks. sell this to me for, for this, ten grand. This is worthless. <laughs> okay, here's the site. You this can is take a shit look. business. I think he should bail. <laughs> These like niche sports small companies are very like like what like, counseling like flex. There's a company in New York called Flex Debate. Flex they Debate. Help, they okay. Help kids like learn about debate. To, like yeah. Yeah. Get, like strategies and stuff. This is what I'm gonna do. Money like that could be made. I'm yeah. gonna dominate the grade school and the high school market with these. So chess debate. Spelling bee. Spelling bee. <laughs> oh my God, this is it. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to call it Extracurricular Inc. And we're going to dominate this. It's going to call be called Overbearing Parent Inc. Overbearing, well, let's call it, yeah, Helicopter <laughs> Inc. Tiger Mom Inc. Right. And we are going to, this is awesome. Um, who's this guy? What's his name? Uh, Priyav, I think, in the Facebook group. So shout out to Priyav. Good, good, good uh, food for thought. And uh, don't. Don't quit, man. Do not quit. This is awesome. If you need help... Gr- and honestly, there's, we're actually doing a, 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 um, a case study of a company called NAC, K-N-A-C-K, which is a peer-to-peer tutoring marketplace. Yep. And um, they raised $2.5 million from these some venture funds and some nonprofits. They had 900% growth in 2019. They, they have these big partnerships with big universities. There's tons of money to be made in these types of tutoring environments. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know if you could hear Brad, but uh, he just spit some good info. Basically, sh- I would, um, sharing how big these can if be. If he wants to, wants inv- any money and wants this to be a cash flow thing, I love this. I I'm very interested. Yeah, I would invest if I'm getting like a monthly dividend, um, but not if I didn't. Great idea. Uh, another great one from the Facebook group was this restaurant refills thing. I don't know if you saw this. So somebody basically said, um, and I should find their name, but they basically were like, "Hey, I own 14." kind of venues. I don't know if it's bars, restaurants, something like that. And um, they were like, dude, you know, I pay Aramark $1,000 per month per location just to refill my toilet paper, my hand, you know, like the bathroom, like the toilet paper, the toilet cover seat thing, uh, like just these like stock goods. How big is it? $1,000 a month per location for him. How much Um, revenue does he have? 
Uh, I don't know. He didn't share too much about his thing, but he basically said he's refilling it every one to two weeks um, from them. And so, uh, so, so basically, one of the ideas here was if you were doing restaurant refills, um, Cisco and Aramark are these giant companies that do this service, and they're they're very very big. And I wonder if you could go in as a local player and differentiate on one of these one of the following levels: a just not shitty service because Aramark and Cisco are so big, they're almost certainly giving shitty service to your average venue by now. Um, the other one is price. And so like, can you create a co-op or a group buying vehicle so that a bunch of restaurants say, hey, we're tired of paying $1,000 a month for this. Instead, we'll pay $100 a month membership fees, but get all of our goods at cost instead of with the markup. And so you can have a membership model for that. Um, or you do something where you actually provide like a better service, uh, you know, better quality products in some way, like more higher end stuff than, than these things. But I thought that was a good kind of like, I love these ideas where it just makes you think I'm not going to go run and do these ideas, but you start to see the world differently where you walk into Next time you go into a restaurant bathroom and you see the toilet seat cover, you're going to realize, yeah, this restaurant paid for this you and somebody's restocking toilet this is? toilet maker. Yeah. Who? It, it, I always see him. It's called like American made. Um, it's a billion dollar company. Yeah, we should look into them. You want to know another one real quick? Otis Elevators. Right. Total monopoly on elevators. Been around for 100 years. Family owned. Probably makes hundreds of millions of dollars right. a year in profit. YKK Zippers. Love. Well, I told you about YKK Zippers, didn't I? No, I mean, I just I just noticed in high school, all of my zippers say YKK. Well, the, uh, yeah, and then the really good... What do you know about them? I don't know anything. So I collect vintage leather jackets. If it's a YKK, then you can tell what year it's on. A Talon zipper is even higher end. So if it's ta- a Talon zipper, it's really good. Right. And that same category is a uh, white cone denim. So if it's from Cone Mill, it's a great denim factory in raleigh north carolina and so ykk talon and uh cone mill denim it's like the high-end stuff that is the it's the accessories to all the high-end stores right um and so they're just factories that have been around for 150 years and will probably exist for another 50 or 100 years you said you collect leather jackets i collect leather ja- vintage leather jackets and denim how many, how denim. many do you have Probably ten thousand dollars worth of, le- of oh my god of, of uh, leather jackets and probably five grand worth of vintage denim that I don't wear and I just I wear them sometimes. Okay, so we'll do this as the last one. The top thing we had on our list was this uh, my heritage auction, this like auction place, uh, which I assume is for collectors. And this is so foreign to me because Indian people don't collect. Like, I'm not going to collect shit. It's an American shit. thing, I think. Um, like, if I go to my aunt's house, there's no art okay, on the walls. Okay, you want me to give you a background on this? Yeah, tell me about collecting okay, and how so this company's doing $850 million in auctions this year. I will tell you. Okay, so in 2008, there was this guy who had a TV show called American Pickers. Have you seen American Pickers? Okay, at the time, have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I okay, haven't watched it. At the it. time, it was the second most popular show on cable. Um, it, it was number two behind Pawn Stars, which is similar. And the guy's name on the show was named Mike Wolf. And I was a huge fan of Mike's. And um, when I lived in Nashville, I saw Mike walking down the street. And I walked up to him. I go, Mike, what's up, man? Let me get a picture. And if you look on my Facebook, you see the picture. I start shooting the shit with him. And I'm like, Mike, let me uh, work with you somehow. And so... Turns out Mike is opening up a store in Nashville and he lets me help set him up and work there. And so what American Pickers does is they go to old barns, typically in the South, but barns, people's hoarders homes, not hoarders. I mean, it's not junk. We call it junk, but it's not really junk. It's like old motorcycles, old cars, neat stuff that's old. And we'll buy it for 
$100 and sell it for $500. We'll buy an old car for $5,000, sell it for twenty. dollars And I ran the store where we would keep a lot of the cool stuff. I mean, at this point, he made so much money off the TV show. He just wanted to collect the shit because people love collecting it. I would get people that would fly in from Australia just to c- touch an old gas pump. The collectors <laughs> were fanatical. I would sell old gas pumps that don't work and are only for decorations. And people would be like, is that gas pump the Model A? Or is that one the Model C? Like they knew. They're, What's going on? They Why are they into this? Why are they into this? And what? they would pay three grand because it's fucking awesome. I would buy that stuff. I have signs that cost a thousand dollars, a mobile gas sign, only just to look at. It's cool because <laughs> it's part of history. And here's the even best part: if you clean it or repaint it or try to make it nicer, it loses all its value. Right. It has to have patina on it. The stuff with the good patina is best. So if you have an old car... and What does re- patina mean? Patina. It's like when you have a pair of jeans. So like basically Levi's changed how they made jeans in the 1950s. So any pair of Levi's jeans prior to... Uh, before 1950, they used raw denim, and the more you wore them, it would get these cool lines in them. And, that, and the lines are called patina. I see. So wear and tear. The wear and tear. And okay. so a pair of Levi's pre pre like before they made that change to their modern process costs $1,500. And if it has cool patina in it, it'll be two grand. I see. And so, um, if it has any of this patina in it, it's really valuable. And so me myself, if I find a a shot jacket, which is a brand, a shot jacket, my favorite era is the 1950s with the red liner, um, or a buco jacket, I'll drop one thousand or two thousand on it all day. And so, where do you, do you buy these things online ever, or so only in person? You 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 can buy them on eBay. So what I used to do is, uh, I used to find jackets in America that were from the nineteen fifties, and I would put them on eBay. And the Koreans and Japanese would buy them because this uh, a forty four from the nineteen fifties in America. Is no longer a modern 44. It only fits littler guys, particularly right. the Japanese and Koreans, and they fucking love that American <laughs> that American shit. They love it. Right. And so I would, um, I used to sell all my stuff on eBay, but eBay wasn't the best marketplace for it. So now there's a lot of niche marketplaces. And you're talking about uh, which one? You, scroll up. Which marketplace are you talking Heritage about? Heritage Auctions, something HA.com. Heritage Auctions, auctions. I've never heard of that. Uh, up so, higher. All, all the way at the top. So they did $850 million. They said their biggest category is coins. Is it coins? And I was like, oh my God, people spending tens of millions of dollars on like thousands of dollars worth of coins. I buy some coins. I, I own hundreds of dollars of coins. Scroll down more. You Henry. own coins? Yeah. Don't you think this Stop is right stupid? There. You think this is cool? Scroll up. There it is. Um, it's awesome. I love it. So movie <laughs> posters. Yeah. So I own some movie posters so i live in san francisco so i don't have too much room but if i lived in austin texas where our office is i would have a warehouse and it would be full of stuff right now blows my mind right now i'm in the market for a 1995 corvette which is and it's it's like compared to modern cars it's not that good but it's it's like a cool year i'll probably pay 20 15 to 20 grand for it I kind of I get the cars thing. I actually even kind of gets the the clothing jackets boots. These are Red Wing boots. I buy them for a very particular type of reason. I own a pair of boots that are like the same brand, but from the 1950s, and it costs eight hundred dollars. I don't wear them. They just sit there, and I look at them. And you feel good. It's like a museum. And the coins one, those are the ones where I'm just like, what? What is going on? Even movie posters, I'm like, okay, I get it. This is only gonna get popular. Here's why. I'm so bullish on this. Okay, so um, you have some money now. Um, what was popular when you were? Let's just let's just imagine that you're 50 now. Yep. Uh, because nostalgia will be more important, I think. But what will you? What would you? Let's see. What categories of things? What if I showed you a cassette tape, uh, a VHS tape, unopened of Home Alone? One of my favorite movies. 
Great. Okay. How much would you pay for that right now? Zero dollars. Really? I'm not a not collector. Just to have like <laughs> right here. No. Okay. As art. Okay. Yeah. I guess I would. I guess I would do that. I guess I see that. How much would you pay for that VH? It's unopened. Completely unopened. I mean, I probably wouldn't buy it, but listen, I'm imagining I'm in that mode. $30 or $40? I'm 50, I'm, yeah, I'd pay 30 40 bucks to just have Great. it there as a talking point in the room. Okay, now let's fast forward 30 years. Would you pay $300 if you could find an unopened VHS tape and you have kids? And you're I like, hope I don't. This is a, a note to me when I'm 50. Don't do it, bro. But do you understand don't buy my it. point? It's yeah. cool, right? It's cool. Okay, I get it. Let, let's do another one. Uh, what's a car? Uh, you don't like cars. Is there anything? Okay, like- here's, here's another example that came up. Uh, the guy who started Oculus, Palmer Lucky, he's bidding online. He tweeted this out. He's like, who is bidding against me? So he was bidding 260 grand to buy this uh, rare thing, which was a, it was Nintendo made a PlayStation or something like that. It's made by Nintendo, but it is a PlayStation. I don't even know what this is. I don't want to look into it. I don't want to research it. It's awesome. And he's like, who the hell is bidding this up? I'm at 260 grand. Surely there's no other nerd that wants this this bad. I bought a pair of Snapchat Snapchat spectacles. I've never even used them. They're sitting in my drawer right over here. Oh, future memorabilia. They're just sitting there. Yeah, I'm just holding holding on to them. I own... um, (laughs) That's hilarious. How about the Elon Musk flamethrower? Okay, that's cool. Just never open. Just don't even open it. A right. lot of people just don't even open. Just sit there, and it's just cool to have. And then maybe in thirty years, would you pay two or three or four or five thousand dollars for that? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. This is why I'm saying it's awesome. I think nostalgia is big money. Um, so maybe there's a company. So just to turn this into an idea a i think this is interesting and there's a whole brainstorm around how do you tap into either nostalgia or collectors and the fanaticism that they exhibit, but. A quick idea here is you've seen these um, these apps like Goat and um, and StockX, like these like streetwear marketplaces. So Goat is like a mobile only way to buy you know sneakers. It's like I'm gonna buy these Yeezys for two grand. I'm gonna buy these rare Jordans for eighteen hundred dollars. And so um, I tweeted this out or, or I retweeted this list of top hundred marketplaces uh, by GMV, so by gross merchandise volume and. Um, and goat was like whatever in the top twenty, and you know that's how kids are basically spending that much on these like cool sneakers, and the sneakerheads are spending so much, and so um, I wonder if you could do a mobile like what they did was just make a slick mobile only uh, marketplace for these rare items. I wonder if you could do that in pick your favorite movie posters, coins, whatever. Clearly, 100%. there's a lot of demand, and it's just about making sort of a modern day marketplace. Because if you go to this ha.com, it literally looks like how old is it? A, what I imagine a coin collector looks like, then I imagine a website, it looks like that. Uh, it looks like a 75-year-old uh, you know, website that never leaves its bed. Dude, I think this shit's going to be way more popular with young people. I think that what I would do is, okay, like, what, if I, I have a, like, I'm not poor now. What, what did I, what was I into when I was like five, six, seven, eight years old? Like, I'll see. Pogs, whatever. Yeah, I'll yeah, see. Goosebumps and. Uh, yeah. I'll, like, if I saw, like, you know, slime a, a from Nickelodeon. Thing, if I saw the entire collection of Goosebumps unopened, I would love to buy that and just have it sit here. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Okay, I would buy that. You see what I'm saying? This right. is how it works. Right. Or, like, imagine you grew up with, like. Uh, I feel like you're explaining collecting to me, which anyone listens is going to be like, duh, what the fuck? But I really do feel that way. I'm like, what is motivating people to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars? I saw one of the posters movie or some one of the comics that was that just sold for 70 grand. It's one page of a comic. And I'm like, who is this person with too much money that is spending 70 grand on this one page? There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. And it's not 70 grand. You have to think if someone's rich enough to spend 70 G's on this thing, it's just like you spending $10 on a thing. Right. Or you buying a $100 home alone thing. It's like, it's kind of a lot of money, but like, uh, who cares? It's fun. Right.
Uh, I also wonder if there's a uh, market for for first dibs. So like, let's say you're coming out with something, an album, or whatever, um, a movie. Why aren't these companies selling the first? Like, who wants the first copy ever made of this? Who wants the first book? God, great. And just auction the first, first dibs. dibs and create a company Did you that. Make that, that up? Yeah, just on the spot, dude. Smart. That's what I do. First I'm the dibs. fucking magic man. And so you 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 create this first dibs thing because then you create new inventory that doesn't even exist yet. You sell it today. It comes first out in the dibs. future, and people would that. bid like crazy for this. First dibs, <laughs> real quick. So Sean and I are are, are doing this all the time, um, but I always have to plug this. If you like doing this on your own time, you got to go to trends.co. Dot, wait, trends.co and buy a trend subscription. And I think what we did was trends.co slash million and you'll see a big di- discount. And okay. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, the sleep report you guys did, I, thought, was was, great, I right? thought was I thought that was pretty interesting because you see these things that get hype, but then you see the actual data. It's like meditation gets all this hype. Watch how sleep is growing, like how right. the sleep interest is growing and all the different products that go around that from beds to pillows to anti-snoring to sleep aids to whatever. So I, I like that article a lot. And the group, I've said this a million times, like all the values in the group. The group is amazing. Um, and I, and I, I really enjoy it. So, so sign up, but we'll keep doing this anyway. Bye. <laughs>